Hello and welcome to Season 4 of the Believe in Overwatch League Podcast from the Believe Podcast Network. We are Matt and Kevin, and each week we're bringing you news about gaming, pop culture, and of course, Overwatch. This week we talk about BMW, Special Editions, and Overwatch 2. Welcome to this week's episode of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast. This is the 10th episode of our season. Hooray, we hit double digits again for this season. Yay. How have you been, Kevin? What's been happening in NorCal? Is it like burning hot or like, I don't know. I don't know what the weather's like up in NorCal, actually. I just know that San Francisco gets kind of foggy and cold. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird. It's Mother Nature seems to be very uh, finicky up here. It, it'll be like cold one day and then it'll be like 80 something the next. And I'm just like, OK, uh, just make up your mind already. Are we are we in summer or are we, are we just chilling? <laughs> What's going on? Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty good. Just a lot of. Uh, I guess a lot of still esports summer camp stuff just trying to keep the kids on their toes you know because we do have repeat campers so like yeah there are some kids who just come back every week and we have to kind of switch up the games that we let them play just so that they can get different looks um that way they don't just get bored of the same game the whole time so um i feel like that's that's important um how do you do that like keep them occupied after they're coming back week after week that's the hardest part honestly it's just like trying to make sure that they are they're happy with what they what they see um so it's uh today was fighting games which is like it's kind of manageable it's just very interesting um what games that we can like bring out so for example like the main ones that we do teach are like smash and street fighter for the most part right um very like simple fighting games versus like um other games in general those are the basics so what can we do with that template and i'm like uh what about lethal league <laughs> and they're like wait, wait wait lethal league like it's uh essentially if, if you haven't played lethal league it's a fighting game mechanic mixed with pong what okay so like you're you're you hit a ball you hit a ball, and then if the if you hit the ball and the ball hits your opponent, they take damage, right? So, essentially, you're fighting with a constant projectile, right? Um, uh-huh. And the only way to switch it is to like switch control, is to like hit the ball again, right? Um, in this kind of game, it speeds up; it gets faster and faster. So, uh, when when you hit the ball, it increases the ball speed; it goes faster; it goes crazier. And uh, yeah, the game gets kind of bonkers later down the line. So um, it's important to like give them something else. It is a one v one kind of game, um, but they have to play in like a yeah. It's like extreme pong. That's like the best <laughs> way how I could describe it. It is like extreme fighting pong because like you have to like use certain moves to get the ball to move a certain way, um, and then yeah, it, it's just a matter of like hit your opponent with ball. Did they get hit with ball? Okay, they they lose. But there's also like you know little mechanics of like. Oh, well, if you bunt the ball and then you hit the ball, you get two points. But if you hit, if you like, you could throw the ball, you could like catch the ball and stop all momentum and just like change it in that moment. 
Uh, that is also an option. It's just like there's so much stuff that you have to like figure out in the middle of the fight. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it's fun in that fact that we get to give them different things to look at, and um, because of that, we also get to like learn more about the game itself. So hmm. it's not always just like it, it's keeping us on our toes too. It's like we can't just constantly teach them like the same game over and over again because they're gonna get yeah, bored. Yeah, so. Of course it's it's cool to like give them something different and like also for us it's like okay how do we remember how to play this game like how how does this operate um and yeah it's just it's just a fun little challenge that we at least had today um tomorrow we're going back into fps's so um we're teaching the kids how to do certain map callouts on in like in valorant um and like teaching them how to do like executes and then we're going to essentially test them on doing the execute and then the other instructor and i are going to like essentially poke holes in it and be like okay you do this execute like live we're gonna try to find a way to get into the site and like stop whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. um and that way it just gives them like a heads up of like hey okay you got to cover this side or uh you can't all just like move in this way or um if you guys are going to hit this site how are you going to how are you going to play it out a certain way? Right. So um, it's just a cool way of like getting them to think um, a little bit more about like the, the overall strategy rather than just like running in and trying to get kills, you know? Yeah. 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 So overall, uh, do you think you've done a good job of, of keeping them uh, occupied? I think, I hope I, I think that they are definitely happy with the, the game itself or like the the content of the program itself because like who wouldn't want to go to a video game summer camp essentially yeah, and just like right? be able to learn about new games that you otherwise wouldn't have access to um and it's it's just cool to like get them to not only be like these are games that you know i wouldn't have otherwise played but also um for them to like talk and interact with people um who are also in the camp and uh, the the most important thing that like our like the instructors there and I are trying to like do is also give them like you know good gamer etiquette and life lessons like things mm-hmm. kind of woven in there because like we we know that this is the next generation of gamers right right and like it's it's kind of like our responsibility as instructors to make sure that not only they're staying safe but like it better's the community later down the line too so like. We want to make sure that, you know, everybody feels included. We want to have, like, um, you know, players be comfortable. And um, the the only downside about this camp so far is, like, we haven't had any, like, female players who want to be mm. or who want to participate in the thing. And it's just, like, we, we need that, like, level of uh, inclusivity and, you know, acceptance so that we could get people into the games and right just enjoying you know what esports has to offer um i was thinking like i was trying to mention it but since it's the first year you know it's very experimental um we're still trying to get everything together um but what i was saying is like i want to bring in some of my old teammates and be like hey my team was not all guys like we had a very diverse like we had a very diverse team and because of that we all have like very interesting backgrounds and we all came together for 
you know, a team thing. And now we're all good friends. We all still talk and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's more, it goes beyond just like, you know, playing a, a game. I know the same thing in like traditional sports. It, it goes beyond the court or whatever. Um, you want right. to like build that community and that connection. Cause you never know what it's going to lead to later down the line. It's just, just basic, mm-hmm. basic stuff. So I'm just trying to teach them like, Hey, uh, don't, don't teabag your opponent all the time. Uh, <laughs> all the you time. never know. You never know if they're going to be like the person who's going to hire you on your next job. Um, <laughs> because like, I mean, I told him, I told him the story, like um, the guy who works at the esports lab at Berkeley um, was one of the competitors who I played against. Like often we would scrim against each other like weekly. And I feel like if, if I was disrespectful, if like our team was super disrespectful to them, there was no way I'm getting this job. Like there was right, no way right, I was yeah. going to be able to like be an instructor here. So I was like, thank God I didn't teabag him <laughs> in like back in the day. Um, and we like, you know, we keep a good discussion and we still talk every day um, because that is going to help us later down the line. It's going to make us like uh, not only the community stronger, but also just like the bonds between collegiate programs really strong too. Mm-hmm. So do you uh, have any kids who like were transitioning from like just purely playing console into like learning how to play on PC? Um, we have a couple of those. Um, there's more along the lines of like, I feel like there's one kid um in our camp that I feel like this is like the biggest change. Is like they came in and they're like, I want to play Valorant, right? I just want to play Valorant, right? Um, uh-huh. and we're like okay and then essentially we go through the first week and he's like a repeat camper so he, he's coming back like for the next week and we go through the first week stuff and then the next week he's like i want to play this game like it's not it's not valorant it's like Ooh. i, I want to play i want to play team fight tactics right and i'm like okay so now we're getting him into something else he's like He's like on fighting game day, he comes up to me and he's like, Hey, can we play Lethal League? And I'm like, Yeah, we can play Lethal <laughs> League. Let's do it. Like it's more of like now that it's not just it's only Valorant or it's only FPS, it's only Fortnite, right? It gives them the option of being like, Hey, I wanna try to play, you know, I wanna play super auto pets against other like other players. It's like, okay, I can mm-hmm. do that. Or, or like if you want to play a card game. Like, yeah, it's just it's cool to like see that come into like fruition and just see like kids who are not just one tracked anymore it's more like it's opening them up to different games and genres that uh now they could go out and enjoy on their own they they uh i've had kids ask me like hey i i'm starting to like fighting games more how do i get a fight stick and i'm like okay uh we we could look at we could shop at fight sticks we could go look for all that stuff and so forth so um it's really interesting to see how you know, the students are at least responding to uh, like learning more about the game and the world of esports in general. Mm-hmm. Well, good job expanding their horizons. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy. I wish, like, honestly, we had more of these courses when, you know, when we were young, that would have been a lot cooler to just be like, you know, it, it's not just about playing Halo all the time. You know, we have we have other options. Yeah. Um, but you know, now that we're older, we don't have the time. But 
it's it's that it's like I have the money to buy the games, but now I don't have the time to do it. And so now that you know we're getting them started in like middle school, it's really cool that they can like now be like, okay, I like this game, so therefore I could practice it. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, enough about me. How, how was your week, Matt? How's everything going in SoCal? Um, it's like it's semi hot, but not hot to the point where I feel like I'm going to die yet knock on wood like mm-hmm. last week it was still like it was still pretty warm like i literally just knocked on wood um it was still pretty warm last week uh maybe got into like the 90s i would say i have not been paying attention to the weather app because i don't pay attention to the weather app but now that i'm talking about the weather app i'm going to open the weather app and see what the temperature is going to be for uh this week okay so the the lows are like in the 70s and the 60s so those are the lows, but the high gets as high as 103. So Oof. that's that's not going to be fun. Um, the the good part is that like I can actually like use the pool after 6 p.m., which is when I end work, so I can like hop in there and like get a workout, like cool down after the day. Um, because I remember last year around this time, it was so hot in my house, and I just I felt like I was suffocating because the the air like upstairs would just be so thick and so hot and so humid that it's just like not possible to be comfortable at all and we have to have like the fan going all the time and like there's no real point in using the air conditioner when it's like already night i don't think because it's already cooler might as well like save the energy and the the money for the day and like not kill the environment with the the hot gases Mm -hmm. but that's that's how socal's being knock on wood again so far there's not really been too much fire but i mean it's like still only the beginning of summer Mm -hmm. so there's still a lot of summer left where things can just go up in smoke so not looking forward to that um work is work work is very is very difficult um the the show that i'm working on now is starting to ramp up in its um promotional campaign so sometimes i'm having to like like today i was up at 5 a.m to post something and i had to be up at till 8 p.m to finish posting something so like i ended work technically at six but i still was on call and was like looking at my computer the entire time and i was playing overwatch with the team and then like in the middle of a match like i got the alert from um our partner that hey the assets are ready to post and i'm like Guys, I got to hop off in the middle of this match and just <laughs> left them hanging without another tank. Um, so that was not fun. Uh, aside from that, I think everything's been kind of kind of okay, I guess. Oh, I was trying. So this last weekend, um, it was the five-year anniversary of the guy who owns the comic book shop that I go to taking over. And for that anniversary, he was doing a big old raffle and a bunch of mm-hmm. local businesses donated stuff. Um, the thing that I wanted the most was a $300 like um, electric ukulele. Like you could plug it into an amp and everything. It was like Ooh. really cool. And I think it had a built in um, tuner or something. I don't know. I didn't really get a good look at it, but it was like I wanted this thing so badly. Um, and I had so many tickets into that raffle because it was based on like whenever you went in, you got a ticket. Some days it's like triple ticket days. And like, depending on how much money that you spend, you'd get next number of tickets. So I had a ton of tickets in there. Um, the first person who got called up, didn't take the ukulele. They got a $200, $50 gift card. The second person who went up, um, I know him, his wife is, was my, 
she taught third grade at the school. No, it was fourth grade. She was, I was in fourth grade. She was my chorus teacher. I think they got married like one or two years after I was in her class. Um, but she's a music teacher now. And he's like, I'm sorry, I have to get it. My, my wife's a music teacher and she'd kill me if I didn't get something Mm -hmm. good. So he, he took the ukulele in the end. I got like $125 in gift cards and some other miscellaneous things, but still sad about the, uh, the ukulele although he um he donated to my camp fund today for unicamp because i'm going up in two weeks so i'm starting to fundraise again so he donated to my camp fund so all all is well <laughs> i forgive him for crushing my ukulele dreams and i already have a ukulele <laughs> so it's okay i just i wanted a nice fancy one but say lovey and that has been my week thus far um before we actually get into the news, Kevin, something else happened in your week. You had a radio interview about esports. Yes, I did. Um, yeah, you you hit me up in the middle of the week, and um, it, I believe it was a radio station in Louisiana, correct? Um, I think it's New Orleans or New, New Orleans. Orleans or however. Yeah. However, y'all y'all people down there pronounce it. I don't. I'm not from the area. <laughs> yeah, we're not from the Nola Nola region, um, but it was cool. Um, we we mainly just talked about um how it compares to traditional sports cuz they're more of a traditional sports um like station they, that's what they were saying yeah um and it's interesting to discuss with them um like a lot of people just think oh it's just video games right it's just right. us playing video games having fun whatever but there is a lot more that goes into it um and it's really it's really cool to talk about it um it's mm-hmm. not just like whatever have fun with it it there's a lot of like um it, it was tough to tell them like hey like there are like contracts and they're they're not just playing for for funsies just for fun you know um right like sometimes they are playing for hundreds of dollars or like millions of dollars like just giving them like an idea of like contracts. Like it's not just like, Oh, we're, we're doing this for fun. There's usually stuff on the line as well. Um, that goes along with it. And it's, it's a lot of fun to talk about and just like, let them kind of riff on it and just to see like how they, how they see it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I was excited to just kind of enlighten them on, you know, Oh, well there's contracts. There's like, it's not just like, oh, let's have fun and let's just let's just do X, Y, and Z. There are like um there are implications that go along with it, um, in terms of actual like esports content. So um like how mu- how much do players get? Like how much practice goes into it and so on and so forth. I feel like that's all important. Yeah. Um how was the line of questioning? How did that go? Because like I know some people can be kind of dismissive about it when they don't understand it. Other people are like more open-minded and some people are kind of in the middle where they're not sure where they stand on it. So how, how was it? How do you think that they took it and how was, what was their demeanor like when they were talking to you? Cause I caught like the tail end because I forgot it huh. was happening until it was happening. I'm like, Oh crap, Kevin's talking. I should yeah. listen in. So I caught the very tail end of, of you guys talking. Um, yeah. I'm gonna try, I'll try and find it online. See if I can, um, see if I can figure out where this audio is and, and try to, if I can add it, find it, I'll add it to the end of the podcast. If it's not in the end of the podcast, it means I was not able to find it. Yeah, it's all good. 
Um, the the best way how I described it is they they are open to the idea, um, but I still think it's really foreign to a lot of people. Um, uh-huh. It's it's cool to like explain to them like I feel like they don't get the get the main appeal of esports, which I mean it is a generational thing where like we grew up with video games, so we're kind of like interested in watching these young like players figure it out and um and figure out how everything else works in the game um but there are points in the game itself where you're like okay this is the reason why we're like we watch this game um and it's also just like the hardest thing to like push across to them is like it's not about like oh we're playing video games therefore we're trying to go pro it's like some people just play for fun and mm. there's also you know there and then the other half of it is like there are compet like competitors like the best way to describe it i mean the person to quote here is actually Shaq of all people um when he was talking to players from nrg um and he's like i totally agree that uh esports players are, are athletes you have to have you have to train your body and your mind to be at a certain point uh, in order to play at the top of the top uh, in terms of your actual gameplay. So it's not just we're having fun. Let's just let's just win a game or whatever. There's a lot of like little bits that go into the rest of like why this game is so difficult or or so fun to uh, take apart, you know? Um, yeah. And I feel like all of that is important. Um moving into the rest of the moving on into like the rest of the whole um like esports scene in general mm-hmm. um so it, it's just tough to tell them like it may not be as physical but the mental thing is the same it's like when chess players play right it's not it might not be like oh we're we have to like lift like 250 pounds like all day every day and get jacked it's more of like a i i have to play at this mental height um and it's interesting in that fact too because like yes maybe you might not like to watch chess but what if like chess had guns like there you go now you have now you have something that people might be interested in just because of the whole uh the whole fast-pacedness of the game itself you know Mm mm-hmm I believe I found it, so I will stick this in at the end of the episode. Um, but something that I think that I noticed at the very end of it, after I think you hung up on the call, something that he mentioned is that he, like, while he doesn't see the appeal of like people sitting around watching video games, he understands that like just to maybe the younger generation and to other people, maybe that's appealing to them. But like, you can say the same thing about. And, and with esports, you can say the same thing about any other sport. Like, for example, baseball. I don't see the appeal of people sitting down and just watching baseball or or golf. I think those are incredibly boring sports, but people still enjoy watching it. It's the same thing with esports. Like some people maybe don't see the appeal of seeing kids sitting down and watching people play valorant or overwatch but there are those of us who like to do it it's literally like you can literally flip it on its head at any time and i think it's 
like we've talked about before, it's like once you mention the money and the scholarships and the school programs, that's when people pay attention because that's like their traditional metric for what is considered valid in sports. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to like point that out too because I know that a lot of like um, it's it is a generational thing. Um, but I like to at least get people to like be open minded about enjoying the, I guess the mental part of the game rather than just it being yeah. like things happen. This this how game work. There's just like <laughs> a lot more to go. Right. Right. And I mean, at the end of the day, at least they're like willing to talk to you. Like I talked to these guys mm. last year um, about esports, and I didn't feel like they were. I feel like, like you said, they didn't understand it, but they weren't dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. And so, like this is like this is the kind of thing that like eventually helps people kind of understand it. It brings awareness. It gives them a little bit of information, and it puts it on the radar. And then after that, it's just the repeated exposure and learning more about it, seeing how it works, that would i guess lead to the acceptance which like esports doesn't need the rest of the world to accept it as a lot of esports players will say but i feel like it's nice i feel like it's it's always nice to be accepted even if you might not quote unquote need it you know um i forgot what i was gonna say no i i do agree with like esports doesn't need to be accepted i mean the biggest one was like the olympics i know that the olympics were talking with like esports like players and um and like executives to see if they wanted it in the olympics but the asia games is like the gateway to that yeah and we kind of like we kind of already set up our own kind of like olympics which is like our worlds or our um you know our final competitions that we usually have and that makes it a lot easier for like people to actually like see it happen live and and have a lot of fun with like watching it happen uh in real time so um yeah it's going to it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out and if more people are interested in watching competitive gaming i feel like once you find a game that you like i feel like there's a game for everybody and it's just a matter of like finding the right game to get you hooked in um that'll make it a lot of a lot more fun for you know other generations potentially just imagine competitive mario speed running i mean you you can consider it a thing already it's just it's like a race it's, it's a little yeah. race yeah anyway kevin news let's take it away <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're gonna start Why off with some I sad so news. excited about that. We're starting with sad things, and I was well, well, a little yeah. too energetic. I'm sorry. Uh, it, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, um, we're we're gonna talk about like the the sad news first, and we'll just get into all the fun stuff. So, um, the first thing that we got to mention is uh, Kazuki Takahashi, who is the creator and mangaka of Yu Gi Oh, passed away uh, this week. Um, he was found uh, dead off the coast of. Um, let me let me double check. I want to get this wrong. Um, he was found off the coast of Okinawa. Um, apparently, it was like a snorkeling incident where like oh. his gear failed. So um, it it's just unfortunate that this happened. He was sixty when he passed, and a lot of uh, a lot of really the, young, really young. 
And as like a, a lot of like my Discord when it when the news dropped, um, we were all like, "This is like a big hit to something that was like a big part of our childhood." And yeah. kind of got us into you know the game itself, and it's really interesting to go ahead and break all that down because, um, like that is the game that started off my Twitch career. Like I played Yu-Gi-Oh competitively to get people to watch my streams, essentially, um, and it's kind of going full circle again. People are telling me like, "Hey." Like you should get you should do Yu-Gi-Oh again, and I'm like thinking about it. I'm thinking about coming back and like you know playing more. But it's just it was a huge hit to not only just the anime community, but also everybody who grew up with the game, uh, have fond memories of either the TV show, um, you know, or you know the parodies and so on and so forth. Um, but it is just a really interesting. Uh, it, it's just a really like unfortunate event that that happened and i hope yeah. that uh i hope that people can like enjoy Yu-Gi-Oh! uh and and like remember the mangaka who who brought all this together so um i'm really i i'm saddened by the news um i just hope that people are enjoying the game still and are still enjoying everything that comes along with it. I mean, at the very least about him, you can say that he created a worldwide phenomenon that will live and it has lived for generations already and it will continue mm-hmm. to grow. Um, I remember at least like when I was a kid, I watched the, the, the cartoon. I watched the original series. I watched a little bit of like the sequel series and stuff. Um, but I remember collecting the cards. I had no idea how to play the game. I just thought the art was really cool. So um, that was my like first experience in collecting trading cards. I remember, I think, when I got my second degree black belt, um, my grandparents took me to Toys R Us and like, OK, you can pick one thing, um, whatever you want, and we'll get it for you. And what I got was a, a big old box of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Um, I don't remember where most of them went. I think I might have lost a ton of them or traded them away or given them away. Um, but I remember it was just, it was fun opening the packs, looking at the cards and comparing the cards that I got with my brother, um, and pretending that we knew how to play. Um, I don't know for, for me, when you, when you said that he, it was like a very sudden unexpected death and that was snorkeling related. And then it like was a really Mm -hmm. big impact to your community for me. Um, that most closely reminds me of both mostly of Steve Irwin's passing, Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit of, of Bourdain because person like Bourdain was a Anthony Bourdain was a personal hero of mine. I just really admired that the way that he he was a storyteller. He explored the world and like never really he didn't talk down to people. He didn't act like he was ex- like discovering the cultures. He just like this is what it is and let's go take a look at it. Um, and like with Steve Irwin for a lot of us back in the day, he was like our first experience into like the world and nature and like was always a very positive person and then like when he just very suddenly died it was like it was a huge shock and i was in sixth grade when that happened and it was like everybody who did their current event report because we were doing current event reports at the time pretty much everyone in class did it on steve Irwin's passing um so it's just the way that you were talking about 
this this very sudden, very shocking death like brought me back to when was that? 2006? That was 16 years ago. Yeah, it, it feels like a long time. And I mean, it has been, but um, it's uh, it, it's still like there because like they were a part of our childhood and yeah. it really opened us up to like things that we otherwise wouldn't have like experienced. And I mean, uh, yeah, as, as stated, like I played Yu-Gi-Oh for upwards of 15 years um, and it was. I've been to like regional championships. Um, I've played in a ton. I've, you know, I haven't made content for it, but like I was at least, you know, one of the bigger streamers when it was, when Twitch was still starting out. Um, but it's crazy to like think that the creator passed away uh, so suddenly. And especially since like my community of like esports and, and gamers and that fact. Have all been affected by this and it's it's unfortunate that it happened um but hopefully we can we could all learn something from this well rest in peace kazuki takahashi thank you for all you've done for the the world of geekdom of gaming of trading card games uh, of manga of anime you've done a lot your creation will live on your memory will live on and thank you for all your work um may you rest in peace um continuing the bad news train that we're we decided to start this episode off with (laughs) um (laughs) kevin what do you think of microtransactions i i i hate them just give us the whole product so yeah microtransactions along with dlc like i think are probably some of the and i would say also like mobile gaming stuff like that like that's in microtransactions but like i think it's it's created a a detriment a lot of the time to the gaming community yes it allows like games to continuously be updating content created and like keep the community of a game alive but a lot of the time it just ends up being ways to like fleece gamers out of their money it feels like sometimes and a lot of the time it feels like that the games that we buy are incomplete when we get them and then you you buy the dlc or the microtransactions or whatever to complete the full game a lot of the time microtransactions feel like making the game pay to win um now this story is about bmw so microtransactions have now invaded the car space out of the gaming space um so apparently bmw is doing this thing where now they have a subscription service where certain features in your car can only be unlocked by paying a monthly subscription um so as reported by the verge bmw currently offers this subscription feature in the uk germany new zealand and south africa in um what amounts to about $18 a month us dollars or $415 for lifetime access. Um, but you can buy like different options, like heated seats, active cruise control with a stop and go function, adaptive M suspension, Apple CarPlay preparation, the BMW drive recorder, safety camera information, driving assistant, plus high beam assistant, um, su- sound support, map updates, an online entertainment voucher, steering wheel heating, 
um pretty much all the stuff that like is normally included in other cars is now being um in just paywalled away through um some software that's been included in the car yeah it it does feel kind of weird to have like a monthly subscription and i know that i know that tesla does this already where like there there are some features such as like you know youtube and twitch if you wanted to watch it in your car um that you can you can utilize but i don't i don't know it it just feels like some some of it feels like uh like satellite radio or xm radio where it's like okay yeah it's it's like it's a service that you're paying for but yeah at the same time like there's some things where it's just like yo wait heated seats cost money now it's like that that has been in the cars since forever you can't just put that behind a paywall and expect us to like not say anything about it Mm -hmm. um so yeah i feel like that's uh that's another part of it that's just it's a little it's a little weird not gonna lie and so far it's it's getting a huge amount of backlash online like i don't think there's anybody who's not on like the bmw executive team that thinks that this is good so hopefully like just the amount of backlash that bmw gets means that they're they're not going to make these purchases that people are just not going to buy these certain model bmws or just bmws in general um and and that will stop the industry from trying to replicate this because like if bmw is successful then you know that means that the other car manufacturers are just going to get in line and do the same thing so um thank you gaming industry for later down the line making our car as a subscription model it's great i'm glad i bought my car before this became like a widespread thing yeah i I have to agree i'm glad that you know our car doesn't isn't pay to win um (laughs) uh, that is a one great way of describing it it's just not like like our our cars as is will will work but there's no like no crazy ridiculous downsides that we have to like really worry about right now so segueing to the next story about things that like used to come with things that we bought but no longer do um kevin have you ever bought like a special edition of a game or like the upgraded version with like all the bells and whistles and goodies that it comes with yeah yeah i've I've bought special editions of games for me i know i've done it for i did it for batman arkham origins i remember i did that one it came with a joker statue that was supposed to light up but was really actually pretty bad and it came with like a couple of movies and etc um what other ones what, what have you done i think that's the only one that i remember that was pretty big that i bought like the special collector's edition for um collector's edition i know i bought persona 5 royal um it had like a uh a steel case that came with it um i had a special edition form of persona q uh that had like the tarot cards from persona um and i don't know if there's any other ones that like i vividly remember buying special edition for but like um Oh wait, yeah. Also, like Valhalla, um, 
Valhall or VA eleven Hall Yeah, Hall A. Uh it's a bartending simulator game. And that one came with like art and like extra CDs and stuff. Um but that was that was just a fun like thing. But overall, like yeah, I've I've bought special editions and yeah, uh they usually just come with really cool content. That content generally, in your experience, Kevin, has actually included the game that you're buying the special edition for, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see why you would not, not include it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, Kevin, I have something to tell you. Um, oh my! Because a lot of, I don't know if you've been paying attention to like special editions recently, but a lot of them do not come with the game. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I've noticed it recently, like there was one, I know when the, the Mass Effect collection came out, it came with the helmet, it came with um, a, uh, I think it came with the steelbook, but it didn't come with the game. I believe the same thing was true for the Halo um, Infinite that when it came out. I think it came with a helmet, I think it came with a bunch of other goodies, it came with the steelbook, but not with the actual game. Um, so this is something that I've been wondering for a while, it's like why would... Why would you buy the special collector's edition that costs well above the $60 price? Like sometimes you're looking into hundreds of dollars uh, uh, for for the price tag for these special edition games. And then it doesn't come with the game. So then you're, you're going to have to spend $60 more to get the game that you bought the special edition for. So it just seems like another way of, of fleecing the... Um, the game the, the gamer in the name of collecting or or in the name of fandom um and fanbyte actually came out with an article um kenneth shepherd published this on july 6th i'm tired of special editions that don't include the game um and and one of the one of the instances that he pointed out recently is god of war ragnarok is coming out um and in their their jotnar edition it comes with a bunch of goodies like there's there's downloadable content for like the armor and cosmetics for Kratos and Atreus. There's a 16 inch Mjolnir replica. There's a shrine. There's a bunch of digital goodies and physical goodies. Um, there's a steel book with no game disc included. However, it comes with a voucher code for a virtual, uh, not virtual, a digital copy of the game. You get a steel book that holds the disc, but you don't but no get disc. a disc. Yes that why why just give us a disc don't give us a cool like you're gonna open that thing up in the years and then just not have a disc like that 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 would cause me to freak out just be like yo where's my where's my game and i'll be like oh it's a digital code duh no i'm not gonna remember that you're gonna have to come with like a fortune cookie slip inside of that box so it like at least reminds me like or like you open it up and it's just confetti. It's like that. That's that's all that happens. Like honestly, like I don't. I don't even know, bro. You open it up and it's just confetti. Is probably probably what's gonna happen. Um, but it's like again, it, it's it's a way they give you the steel book, and the steel book's empty. So of course you're going to want to buy the game to mm-hmm. put it in there. So that they just made another sixty dollars off of you that you mm-hmm. wouldn't have otherwise spent. Um. It's just, it's blatant, I think. It's capitalism, just the greed gone blatantly wrong. And again, this is, and it also lends into the argument of like, what if down the line, like 
they unlist this game and you have no way yeah. to play it because that's that's something that's happening now like like for example via the Wii um marketplace like you can't re-download your games anymore because the Wii um the Wii marketplace the Wii U marketplace has been shut down by Nintendo so if you had digital games in your collection that you either had to delete for space or maybe the file got corrupted or something and you wanted to download them again you can't do that and so now with these collectors editions like at least Ragnarok had the courtesy to give you a digital copy of the game at the very least they did that but most of these special editions do not come with a game like you'll go to um i oh i remember one for uh dishonored too i think it came with a replica corvo atano mask which is really cool but you couldn't wear it it wasn't wearable and i don't think that one came with the game either i remember i was really disappointed yeah that's kind of wear the mask and like it doesn't come yeah. with the game. It, so. it feels weird it feels like yeah to essentially have people buy the game not not even buy the game twice it's just like buy you're you're just selling them on accessories and i feel like you could just sell them the whole game just give them the whole thing like how how hard is that uh <laughs> It, that's is that just me being greedy or or dumb? I just feel like that's just how it how it works. But um, honestly, I just think that like I, I feel like at some point, at some point, like the gaming community is gonna get fed up with not just not just DLC, but also like you know all this other stuff of like special editions not having the game or. Um, like certain things and it's going to be on like future manufacturers to give you know to to kind of right these wrongs and like i i miss the days of like i mean i know that this is like uh dmca like ruling and stuff but like the best one was like rock band right when rock band had the songs already on it it was a lot easier to just like you play the game, you unlock the songs through playing the game, and then there's like 60 songs on that game, right? And you could just play through them. Yeah. But now in Rock Band, it's like the game comes with 15 songs, That's and then it. the rest of them are locked behind like $5 paywalls. That's disgusting. I, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna pay that. Like, why would I want to pay for an incomplete game? And it, it's just something that, like, yeah, I, it that shouldn't be the way, that shouldn't be the the formula or the pay structure of like how you should be treating your audience. Cause mm -hmm. word gets out of like, Hey, you paid 60 bucks for this game and a guitar. Uh, okay. Well now it, now you have to pay more to get the songs that you want to play. And personally, I'm just like, why would you just give me, just give me a whole game. Like we, we are missing out on that. And then like special editions wise, like, it would be okay if you pushed it as its own thing, but don't say it's a special edition of a game if the game is not included. To say it's like it, it's memorabilia for the game, or it's you know you you have to sell it as what it is. It's not a special edition of the game if the game is not included. Right. Um, and another thing is like internet download speed. Something I, I just realized right now. It's like for some of the games that I've played, like when I was using um, the Xbox Game Pass, like. 
I could download smaller games pretty easily, but bigger games would take me like several hours to do. Um, I remember back in the day when I had even worse internet, it took me several days sometimes to download a game. And that's another concern with, with trends like this, where um, all they give you when you buy the special edition, maybe if they're nice is giving you the digital copy, but for people with, um, with bad internet or like, like this, who the person who wrote this article, Kenneth Shepard says that he lives in a rural area of the United States and downloading a game, the size of God of war could take me possibly multiple days to install on my system. So, um, it, it, ah, there's just so many issues involved with a digital only world that, are so much easier at least that just makes it easier to play when you have a disc gaming was easier when everything was already included on the disc and i, I do agree are... like every everything was better when it had a physical copy and now that we don't have like we're so reliant on these dlcs and like having things like readily available like this um that even like i get it like it costs money to physically produce a disc, um, but it's a lot quicker to lose information on the internet than a physical, like actual version of the game. And I mean, yep. like that, that is something that, you know, it will be tried and true forever. It's like, if you have a physical copy of the game, it will not like, like the only way you lose a physical copy is if you physically lose the copy of the game. Um, but right now it's like there's so much like like a lot of the games are online only you could potentially lose all that tomorrow mm -hmm. right like that's the thing like i like you know i love steam i love the way how like it operates and everything but like if if valve just says like all of a sudden like hey uh we're gone you would <laughs> lose out on all of your games <laughs> And you're like, okay, well, I just spent like hundreds, if not maybe even thousands of dollars, like playing certain games or like playing like to to get inventory things in this game um, only for it to like essentially just be wiped away immediately. Um, mm -hmm. There's no way of like recovering it. And it's just it's a lot that you have to take in. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that I I wish that more people would do things like how um what a, how limited run kind of handles it right now it's like if you want a physical copy it should be available and it shouldn't be like limited um but i get it if it's like a dlc game and you're like a brand new company and you don't know how well it's gonna do yeah you could you can release it online and then see if you want to release a physical copy after but like with what yeah. um katie's did mm -hmm. Yeah, like Hades was online, and then you, you, you essentially like everybody loved it, and, and then they start selling more. So yeah, I, I love what you know Supergiant did with that, and I hope that more companies really like take that to heart. It's like if it sells well, there's interest in it, and then people will buy a physical copy if they wish to keep going. Mm -hmm. And like that, that's the same thing with like any form of physical like collecting so like i know my friend collects all of his games physically like he really makes a, a point to like 
if a game comes out that he likes, he will buy the physical copy of it. Yeah. And like for me, it's the same thing with like my manga collection right now. It's like, yeah, I could just read it online, but um, if you know those websites end up going down, like I have my physical books, I can share those with people. I can I can lend them out and let people enjoy it. And that's something that you know I take pride in. It's like people can enjoy the books that I am collecting, and mm-hmm. we can like sit down and have a discussion afterwards. Yeah, and like for me. I find I just know I don't know why I just find it very hard to manage a digital collection. I can just for some reason manage physical things a lot better. So I just I I never feel good about having a digital copy of something as opposed to like a physical one. Yeah, I mean like just just look at oh, okay, okay gamers. I know that I know that you're here. Uh go into your Steam library real quick and tell me how many games you have never played. <laughs> go in your backlog and tell me how many games I can tell you I'm guilty of this too like I have games that I have never touched and it's just because like I'll I'll play it I'll open it for like two minutes and I'll be like this isn't for me um, but yeah it's, it's hard to manage that collection like we, we can't do what you can do with a physical copy like if, if I had a game that I didn't like uh, I could just take it and be like, "Hey, who wants to buy this for me for like half off?" Right? Yeah. Um, you you could just do that for for online games. You really can't. It's like you have to like it. It's in the library, and uh, yeah, it's just gonna sit there forever. <laughs> um, I, like yeah, I guess you know, Steam does have that two hour refund thing, but it's like within a thirty day, uh, thirty days of purchase, I think. So it's it's really interesting to see like how all that breaks down, and I hope that like. Yeah, I, I hope that we can get past the fact that, like, you know, we're, we're playing games and just leaving some games to just rot in our library. I, I'm guilty of that as well. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not just you. I'm calling out everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, moving on with two, I guess, two stories that aren't Overwatch related, and I guess then we'll break and then just do a whole Overwatch centric ep- like episode half after this. Um, so continuing on the sadness train, um, Logan Paul turned one of the rarest, most expensive cards ever into an NFT because of course, Logan Paul would do something like that. Um, so Logan Paul took a, a rare Pikachu illustrator Pokemon card from 1998, which was graded 10. Which, if you've ever had something graded or looked for graded things, the Kevin, do you realize how how rare something is to get a ten? Yeah, it's super. It's super tough. Like you have to like pull it out of the pack, like it's a like like you're defusing a bomb, right? And then like put it into like eight sleeves, and like even right. eight sleeves might damage the card. So like you have to like yeah. figure out what kind of sleeves and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's it's a it's a whole process, like. A 9.8 is considered pretty much a perfect, like, mint copy. A 9.8? So, like, a 10 is... I, I don't even know how perfect you would have to be to get a 10 grade. Um, and this card is, is worth $5,275,000. Let me let's just sink that in. That's a, that's a lot of money. $5 million. $275,000. Uh, 
So the idiot Jake Paul, or not Jake Paul, Logan Paul, they're interchangeable. Um, the idiot Logan Paul spent five mil, over $5 million for a Pokemon card, which he's turning into an NFT. He wore this chain, this card on a chain around his neck during his WrestleMania fight, which I don't know how he became a wrestler. Um, he, he wore it to this fight, and now apparently... I don't know. Somehow he's he eventually offered four million dollars for this card, um, but he uh, I don't even know anymore. He bought this card from a collector who initially turned down a four million dollar ask for it, um, and then now he he sent another offer, which was um, I think four million and a a nine graded pikachu illustrator card so he traded a lesser grade one for a a higher grade one plus four million dollars um and this transaction won the guinness world record for most expensive pokemon trading card sold at a private sale um now he's listed the card as an nft on um liquid marketplace so i don't know how he did that i don't know how he can do make it an nft when uh nintendo owns the right to this art i don't know how he did it or if he it's legal or if he can continue to do it but that's what he did i'm i'm just flabbergasted by this story i i really don't understand it yeah it uh yeah i feel like i feel like nintendo would probably want to do something about that I wonder if they know, like, do they know that their, their property has been stolen technically and without like, without their knowledge converted into a different piece of art? I hope they do. And they're doing something about it because any misery we can inflict on Logan Paul. I normally don't like inflicting misery on people, but Logan Paul is an exception. Yeah. It's just like, I, I I don't understand clearly how this how this operates but i feel like if you steal somebody's art it you shouldn't be able to make profit off of it um i i know that there have been other company i'm not going to call oh i'm going to call them out loki geeks if you guys are out there if you somehow listen to this uh tracing art and selling it as your own is not uh not favorable um so yeah i i feel like that is just something that a lot of a, a lot of groups and people just need to understand, like, you can't just sell sell art that isn't yours. You That's know? called plagiarism, folks. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that. Um, anyway, let's move on to our, our single happy story of the, the news episode this week. Um, so Elden Ring is a very hard game. I have not played it since... Um, I think I played it for about a couple weeks when it came out, but then I got busy um, with the plays and the rehearsals. And then I p- started playing um, Horizon again. And then the beta came out and I still have Tiny Tina's uh, Wonderlands to play. So suffice to say, I'm not getting to Elden Ring for a very long time. But I appreciate the uh, the hype that is around the game. It is a very uh, immersive game i i do eventually want to get back to it and i do eventually want to get good at it i have friends 
who play it and they love it and everything and they offered to like play it with me to help me get better um but one of the most famous players of elden ring is uh let me solo her who for whatever reason decided he's gonna go around helping people by killing one of the hardest bosses in the game who is millennia um and he's done this over a thousand times so in recognition of his feat and his selflessness and his amazing skill at this game um bandai namco sent him a gift box with a bunch of things including an actual sword (laughs) yeah they gave him a sword that's it's inscribed rise tarnished on it which is amazing like i i've i've jokingly considered like going to like i think it's switzerland that if you get uh, your grad degree there if you get a doctorate they'll give you a sword i have jokingly considered doing that to just to get the sword but like beating i i can't even conceive of like beating this boss a thousand times but like he got a sword out of it man that was pretty cool like it that's just like the creators recognizing that you know there have been players who dedicate a lot of their time to your game um and it's just it's cool to to know that hey like they acknowledge the fact that we played your game we love your game and uh it's just a little bit more that they they can give to the player base and so yeah definitely a a cool little nod there All right, that is the end of like the non-Overwatch related news. I mean, this episode in itself has already gone for about an hour. So we're going to cut it here and then do all the Overwatch stuff in the separate episode for just Overwatch things, which hopefully will be a little bit shorter. Um, Kevin, anything you want to add to the end of this actual news episode? Um, No, not really. Just have fun with the games that you're playing. Uh, I know that uh, the Steam sale ended last week. so. Uh... Our wallets are safe for now. Um, <laughs> I mean, your your wallets might be safe for now. Uh, mine mine definitely took a little bit of a hit during this time, uh, but um, it it is going to essentially like fund more streams. So that's that's a good part about it. Um, just just enjoy your games. We'll go into the you know the craziness that is Overwatch two this week uh, in the in the next segment, but. For now, uh, have fun with your games, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely chat next week. Do we want to uh, tease the the cha- the update that's going to come to the show, or do we want to like save it till next week? Or I- I'm done know. either way. Okay. Um. So, how do we want to say this? Uh, just- yeah. I-, I guess we could just say that we are kind of broadening right yeah that's a good that's a good way to to phrase it It, we we are gamers and and nerds in general and we we like all aspects of esports and um we we kind of wanted to to broaden that instead of it just being hard focused on one property we wanted to expand that out since you know our parent company doesn't cover a lot of it and uh we, yeah. we kind of want to take the opportunity to expand and uh give you guys more content that way yeah 
So instead of this just being a, an Overwatch-related um, podcast, we are going to expand this show into a show that is more just focused on geek culture in general. Um, we are it's, So it's pretty much just going to be whatever pop culture news happens during the week that we think is interesting and we have uh, an opinion that we can talk about it. Um, we'll talk about it. So instead of this being the Believe in Overwatch League podcast, um, we are uh, going to be changing it to, I guess, Believe likes the title This Week in Geek. So starting sometime um, in August, I think that's our tentative timeline, we will be changing over to that. Um, so yeah, that is an exciting change. We're going to get new art and everything, and I have to change the uh, the theme song again. Um, start socials again which i i need to update more regularly i know i've been really bad at it especially considering that i uh i work in social media now but that is the big update for us we are um we're technically ending one podcast so that we can start another Um, yeah and it's exciting for sure but please continue listening to us in in the meantime like we're we're still gonna we're going to be continuing after this. It's going to be like us two again, you know, in love. Um, but please keep listening to us on this podcast and please pick up the next podcast when it comes out. Um, this will give us the opportunity to, to talk to more people, hopefully get in more interviews that aren't just kind of restricted to the world of Overwatch and of, of esports. We can hopefully bring more better content and, and be more interesting than we already are. Um, so thank you to everyone who has listened to us thus far. Um, and thank you again to all of you who are going to be sticking with us in, during this transition. Uh, we love you and appreciate you all. And with that, we are going to end this news episode and please listen to our Overwatch episode. Thank you all. Um, and we will catch you next week. Adios. Esports stands for electronic sports. The word esport is used to describe a video game that has a professional competitive kind of scene, if you will. Joining us now, Kevin Tagupa, I hope I pronounced your last name uh, correctly, host of Believe in Overwatch, esports analyst and commentator. Kevin, did I get your last name right? Uh, Yeah, Tagupa is correct. Okay. So, you know, the old schoolists, like the old, you know, get off my my lawn kind of guys, and I'm one of those sometimes, Kevin, and I have a 23-year-old son that's a big gamer, and he aspired at one point in his life to be an e-gamer. Um, but is it truly a sport, or is it a spectacle or an event? No, it's definitely a sport. The The way how I like look at it is it's still, although it's not as physical as other, you know, other sports such as basketball, football, uh, baseball, um, to an extent, it is still a mental battle between multiple teams or individuals in order to compete for either a prize or um, a title even. Okay, so how intense are these, and, and what kind of money do these esports athletes make? Oh yeah, they um, depending on the game itself, the, it depends on the pay structure of the actual like contracts. Um, some can range from a couple thousand to um, several, uh, like we're, we're talking like six digit uh, salaries that some of these players are making. Um, I would say it's not under like our sort of thing that we cover, but one of the biggest esports tournaments that happens every year is the Dota 2 International. 
And because it's crowdfunded, a lot of their players and a lot of the player base themselves actually help contribute to the prize pool. So last year, I believe it was $36.6 million um, in this prize pool for the for the actual tournament with the winners going home with like 18.6 of that. So definitely, you know, there is some money there. And uh, yeah, they are competing for not just, you know, a title, but an actual living. Are there circuits, uh, Kevin, like, you know, every other sport out there, you have to go through, you know, collegiate, at least some high school. Uh, is there is there a certain circuit uh, threshold you have to meet in order to be a, an eSport guy? So um, some of the companies that actually run the games do set those up. I know that for Blizzard, um, they primarily focus on things like that. So there is like a path to pro where you go through collegiate to tier three to tier two and then eventually into the pro scene. Um, other ones are more kind of um, loosely based and more of the teams get sponsored by bigger organizations in order to just compete in tournaments. Um, and then from there, you get your tournament winnings, you win a couple majors, and then you get invited to the bigger stages or like the big, you know, annual event that happens every year. So what's, okay, so what's the average crowd at some of these esports events? Um, so because of COVID, it's been pretty pretty small um, because most of the viewing actually takes place online through YouTube, Twitch, or um, sometimes other third-party sites. But for the most part, um, you're averaging probably about, um, I would say, at least half a million for the finals, for the final games. Um, on average, you're probably getting anywhere between 500 to 1,000 viewers per like individual game. Um, usually, if a scene has a bigger tournament scene, people will actually end up turning up for that. Like the best example right now, there is a Valorant championship tournament going on right now, and they have 3.3 million people watching. Um, I believe that we're getting closer to the finals. So we're in the semis right now. So um, a lot of people are tuning in to see who's going to be taking home this major and what that kind of means for the uh, sport later down the line. Okay. So who are some of the bigger names in the sports? Um, sports? Yeah, it really does depend on the game because, like, it, it's like um, it depends on what esport you follow. Um, but I guess the big ones for a couple of the esports, Faker for League of Legends is kind of the biggest name in league. He has, you know, a million dollar contract. Um, you have Tens from Sentinels, who plays in Valorant, also has a pretty big contract. Um, but yeah, there's usually a couple superstars in every single circuit, um, in every single game. And it's just a matter of building that reputation and getting tournament wins that help you build that up and get your name known, you know, throughout the viewing audience. Is there an amateur circuit where, you know, maybe a 16, 17-year-old, 15-year-old can start working their way through that circuit to, to become a pro earlier? And is there is there an age requirement? Um, I would say the best way for 16- and 17-year-olds to actually get in is to participate in your college club or your high school club. Um, high school clubs, um, just getting people together and playing at local tournaments. Um, I know that there are some, like, internet cafes that offer tournaments usually on the weekends, um, usually, like, once a month. And being able to do that, like, kind of get your name out there and climb the leaderboards is more of a way of getting it getting yourself known throughout the game itself. Um, I know that for some of the leagues, for the professional ones, sometimes you do have to be 18 in order to sign up. 
um, and to actually be eligible. Um, but in that time, if you are below, I believe, like, I think 16 is the age that you can join the minor league. Um, you can start grinding up in the smaller leagues and then almost be guaranteed a contract once you turn 18. Okay, do you think, uh, so is the largest platform Twitch, is that the largest platform for esports? Yes, at the moment. Okay, so um, what, Turner Broadcasting also has an e-league that's on traditional TV, is that right? Yes, um, it has been also shown on ESPN2 for the most part. Um, and on occasion, depending on the sport, sometimes it is on Disney XD and um, just other, you know, bigger broadcast channels um, rather than just online. Do you think eSport and its growth, eSports, excuse me, and its growth is expanding, growing, or kind of stagnant? Do you think it's growing or stagnant? I definitely think it's growing. Like right now it is, especially after the pandemic and understanding like people played their games throughout the pandemic, it is a growing eSport. It's like a growing scene in general just because, uh, you know, sports themselves have been paused for quite a while. So a lot more players are getting online. Uh, they're more interested. They're more invested in some of these teams. So I do think that it esports is actually like kind of in its infancy. Even though um, you could probably trace it all the way back to StarCraft II, um, back in the like mid '90s as kind of the beginning, it's starting to really pick up more as a global uh, event and esports kind of thing. As we continue to like not only progress in the way how we play online games, but also just getting people involved and excited about these like online tournaments or even in-person tournaments. You yourself, how, how good are you? Oh, um, so when I was in college, I played for my college. And also team. Kevin, what is Overwatch? What is Overwatch, please? Well, what is Overwatch? Overwatch is a six, was a six on six um, competitive first person shooter. Um, it was more of a movement shooter where you had abilities and characters who all have like specialized roles and abilities um, and you kind of synergize in order to push an objective um, or win a certain point. Um, it is an online game. It's played on uh, consoles and online. Um, but recently there has been an announcement of Overwatch 2 and it's currently shaking up a lot of things. So one of the things is it went from 6v6 down to a 5-on-5 now. Um, so a lot of, like, little changes here and there. Uh, we're just going to have to get used to what's gonna, what that's going to mean for the eSport itself and if it is going to grow. Kevin Tagupa, host of Believe in Overwatch, eSports analyst and commentator. Kevin, uh, thanks a bunch for the insight. Kind of uh, changed my perspective a little bit when you – throughout some of those numbers and there are some safeguards and also some thresholds you have to meet and you can't just show up one day and say hey i'm an esports guy uh so there, there is some competition uh that's for sure and it's, it's vetted kevin thank you no thank you next week we update you on the overwatch league and the world of gaming thanks for listening to this week's episode if you like what you hear Please like, rate, and subscribe to us and follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. Questions or comments? Send us an email at BLEAVNOWL at gmail.com. If you'd like to advertise with us, you can contact the Believe Podcast Network. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.